All right, we are live. Good day, my crypto friends. Welcome to the EOS podcast. Today we have for you Dominic, the CEO and co-founder of Warbly, and also Mitch, who's the network operations manager at Warbly. And if you guys haven't dug into Warbly yet, um, this is gonna be a really interesting podcast and show for you because um, well, you guys are doing huge things. I mean, when, when I when I when you told me you're busy, I said, "Yeah, it must be. I mean, it must be rough um, trying to change the entire financial industry in, in one kind of foul swoop here." So, um, uh, let's start digging into what you guys are up to with Warbly, and uh, why don't you just kind of give a, a thirty thousand foot overview for us, uh, Dom, about uh, what Warbly is and what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, so Werbly is the financial services uh, district of EOS is, is what we're calling ourselves. So we're a sister chain uh, of the EOS uh, mainnet and we're bringing um, full financial compliance to the blockchain at the user account level. So users can choose to opt in, they can go through our AML KYC process. And what that does is it really allows uh, financial services businesses that require compliance and licensure and all that stuff uh, to really build businesses on the blockchain and know that they have uh, a compliant network to do it. And so we consider ourselves kind of an intermediary step between a fully public decentralized blockchain and we'll say a completely private and permissioned uh, closed blockchain, right? Like uh, Corda or something like that. And so we're trying to create that opportunity where developers can build applications and enterprise businesses can get on the blockchain and we can bring all these services to the blockchain community. Yeah, and that's what, uh, what when it finally kind of clicked for me was when I realized that at the genesis of these wallets for Warbly, people have the opportunity to do AML and KYC and have an account that belongs to them but that is also um, for the for global financial institutions. It gives them something to kind of hold on to, so that you can build regulations around it, so that um, it makes more sense to to institutions. And um, yeah, so that that that's a that's a big um, a big step there. What uh, when's when's that going to start? When's the when's that process actually going to start? How far off are you guys on that? So November 1st, we're launching our share drop portal, and that's when mainnet folks can come over, open a Wordly account, claim their tokens. So we're doing a one-to-one. Our snapshot was September 7th. Uh, we chose to use that because we thought it was a little more accurate. You know, we're several months post-launch, and we just didn't think the Genesis snapshot made sense. So people will be able to come over, open an account. Definitely want to clarify, you do not have to do AML KYC right away if you don't want to. It is required to unlock uh, 35% of your tokens, but you'll have up to at least six months to do that. Um, so if you want to wait until you see dApps on chain, which there will be in that time period that require it, and then you want to do it so that you can sign up for that dApp, you'll have that option. You can have an account on chain without it, but you're not going to have access to the dApps that require that level of compliance. Um, but as you said too, your data will be yours you decide whether or not you even want to share whether you're aml kyc verified with a dap it's it's about user control and and all that stuff so november 1st and the aml kyc feature will be in there yeah and that's uh you know that's something that a lot of people worry about is oh i don't want to put my you know my i don't people don't want to do a aml kyc but you know, especially with something like Warbly, where this is going to be, you're basically going to be kind of, um, they're going to be controlling their own identity on chain. And then they have the option whether to let uh, the institution see 
that they're basically verified. It doesn't mean that they give their information out to the institutions. And the interesting concept about identity is that um, identity, we, our identity is already out there. It's just a one-way street. Our identity is out there. We just don't know who has it or what they're doing with it. So, right. you know, this kind of thought of, of trying to now protect our identity when we can actually have control of it and it can be something useful. It's like, it's too late in the game to be, to be uh, worried about that now. Now it's kind of, for me, my thought is that, it, you know, it's already out there. Now I want to put it out there in ways like this where I actually have control over it and, and what it does. So, um, for me, the, AY, the, the, the KYC AML isn't, isn't a big deal personally. Um, so, and it gives, it gives transparency on the other end. Now we can see what is going on in the entire blockchain, which is we're in the dark in the normal financial industry. So, so it's, a, it's a big difference there. So. Yeah, I think that's a key point. You know, so many folks have done AML KYC. I mean, if you have a bank account, you've done AML KYC. Exactly. And again, you don't have any control over that information. Most of those banks are actually selling your data, selling your information. Um, you know, Google, by opening an email, they may not have the total of AML KYC, but they have information about you. They have a lot more information that's far more valuable and potentially damaging, which is your, your, your activity, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're not recording that stuff. You're going to own it. You're going to decide who gets it. And we just feel like, Blockchain's getting regulated whether we like it or not at some point. And so we can take the lead and start kind of self-regulating in the way that we think it should be done and hopefully provide a template or we can wait to get regulated. And so we're just trying to be ahead of that curve. Mm -hmm. um, so with the, with Warbly, it's, it's basically, you called it a sister chain to EOS. Is that right? Um, what's the, what is the, what's that kind of look like to token holders is, is, would you consider, um, EOS a, a complementary chain? Is it kind of something that helps out? Is it competitive? Is it, how does that look in kind of the, uh, competition landscape? Yeah, we, we don't see that there's any competition. It, 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 it's a value add, you know, you're not going to be able to do what we're doing on mainnet. You know, we looked okay. at it. If we had thought that we could have created a bank and some crypto fiat gateways and some of the other stuff on our roadmap and just done that on EOS, we absolutely would have. It, it's a shorter road. You don't have to gather all the block producer support that we've had to work on. You know, you don't have to spin up a chain. You don't have to absorb all of the cost and legwork of, of the last several months that we've put in just to spin up a chain. Because when people think about, yeah, the EOS IO software is open source, but you know, and you could go run a node as a developer and you technically are running a blockchain, you know, but that's not really a network, right? Yeah. You're not going to get a bunch of users signing up on your network and using your network just because you spun something up on your laptop, you know, um, you need computing power, you need resources, you need legitimacy, you know, you need trust. And so it's a lot of work to do it, but we did it because it's required because compliance has to be at every layer. You don't, you don't, you can't go to a government agency and say, oh, our dApps are really compliant. And then they go, yeah, but what about the nodes on the network? What about the user accounts? Like all of this stuff has to be compliant through all the way through to our fundraising and, and how we got the project off the ground. You know, if there's any problems in those areas, you're not going to, you're not going to get through. You're going to get flagged and you're going to get fined and probably not going to be around very long. So uh, we are not competitive. We're trying to bring these services um, to the blockchain through the EOS so software. We think it raises the visibility of EOS and shows its capability, what it, what it can do, 
the transaction speed, all of the awesome features that we all know EOS uh, contains. And in the end, we know that IBC is on block one's roadmap so that the chains can communicate. You know, I think people forget that Dan talked about this was always part of his vision. Yeah. Very different chains all having some specific features. You know, even some people may be launching like a small community chain for their like town, right? Where they might just have like their town government on it. You know, um, that's probably not something they're going to want to put on mainnet. It's not going to make a lot of sense. They're going to need some rules. And that might be a side chain. And that's an opportunity too, but compliance has to be at every layer. And we knew we couldn't control that. For example, we would have had to say, no block producers can be on the chain who don't go through corporate AML KYC. Yeah. <laughs> How would we yeah. do that on mainnet? Yeah. Right? It's not possible. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that, when you think of it that way and, and having to have every single part of this basically audited or auditable by global financial institutions, I mean, the, you're setting the bar really high for yourself uh, as far as, as where the money goes, how it was you know, collected and, and all of that. So that's, you know, that isn't something that's going to be done on the EOS mainnet. It's, it's clearly a, a financial niche. He's, mm -hmm. he's um, following that many, um, you know, that many regulations. So that's, that's going to be big bringing on these institutions. And, and the other thing you said was um, about, you know, about creating a network and you can't just launch these chains and, uh, or you can just launch them, but creating a legitimate network, a network takes you know, a group of people. It's, it's a story that a lot of people have to be telling themselves and believe in and, and get behind and then put effort into kind of uh, so it's just building that you guys have put months into kind of building this, this, um, this network. So on that note with the block producers, how are they added? How are they chosen? How kind of, how will they play out in the future? Is it, is it the same as the EOS net? I mean, no. So, you know, we don't, we didn't have any voting. Uh, block producers were selected based on the development of relationships over the past nine months uh, being at EOS events, being active in the EOS community, uh, and frankly, identifying the groups that that held the same vision. I mean, at this stage, they're they're kind of um, you know making an investment like the rest of us uh, of their time and their their infrastructure. Uh, and so, you know, they're the early supporters. Many of them were just people that I came across in the community, or other team members did that we got to know that really liked what we were doing and wanted to support us. We're willing to put the resources behind it and then other teams we identified it for their for their specialties you know for their uh, security expertise for example or their financial backgrounds you know there's a lot of block producers believe it or not that came out of like fintech and traditional finance and so we wanted to identify in the initial you know 20 block producers that are, are joining our starting 21 that we had the right stakeholders to get this project off the ground because they're they're kind of as much a part of the team as, as we all are in that way. And then we've got 10 reserve block producers that, again, we selected for their expertise, uh, their support of the project, and what kind of uh, enthusiasm and in, in, in strategic partnerships they could bring to the table. Now, in the future, block producers will be added based on a vote between the Warbly Foundation and the existing block producers to determine when to add more. Um, and then selecting who to add based on, you know, the teams that are available out there. And again, who we think can bring the most value to the network because it takes a special team to go through, again, the compliance, to be willing to be subjected to audits, uh, financial auditing and stuff like that in the future. So 
uh, it was kind of just a lot of teams approached us and we just tried to select the teams we thought would be best for the chain. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, again, it comes back to that heavy level of compliance and some, some teams are going to be willing to do that. Some aren't, some will be able to, and some won't. So, um, yeah, it does, does get a lot more, um, a lot more strict there. Um, what does this, what's this like, how's this play out as far as what's this enable for dApps and financial services? Because I know all of a sudden, if we have a financial, um, financial institutions involved, we can do things like payment gateways, uh, exchanges, merchant services. Um, like how do you see, what would be a real world example of here's this dApp we can now launch and it'll run quickly and seamlessly as opposed to going on EOS where we don't have this financial uh, services backing. Well, I think one of the interesting ones, I mean, what you mentioned are the obvious use cases, right? Banking, uh, payment gateways, merchant services, exchanges, uh, investment opportunities. Like we, we have investment banks that are very interested. FX trading, uh, they have a real hard time moving money around the world right now and it's very expensive for them to do so, so blockchain is very appealing. But an interesting one is insurance. And we've okay. been talking to a lot of insurance providers and they're dying to get into this space. They know there's, right, with all these hacks and all this stuff, there's tremendous liability. But they haven't been able to really get their mind around how to do the actuarial work, how to really assess the risk. Because when you're talking about, let's say Bitcoin, for example, and however many millions of anonymous users how do you determine what people are doing, right? Uh, you know, insurance companies make their living because basically they'll, they'll tell you they don't make bets. Yeah. And they don't take risk. Mm -hmm. They assess risk and they quantify it and you pay. And what yeah. you're doing is you're pooling your risk when you're part of an insurance you know, policy with other people who require the same protection. And so if the risk is one in 10, you know, they know they're going to pay out on 10%. And the other nine just don't want to be one of those 10. So they're willing to pay into that pool, right? Um, but on blockchain, they, they say they've had a tremendously difficult time because, again, they don't know who they're dealing with. And assessing risk is kind of knowing your, your customer, really. It is kind of KYC. I mean, who is on the blockchain? How old are they? What kind of behaviors do they get engaged in? You know, um, they can't, they could never gauge their exposure. But now that we're saying, well, wait a minute, we'll be able to, you know, get some of that information or certainly users who want to participate in, in insurance will be willing to give you that information now and you can quantify it, you know, and they're, they're pretty excited. So that's a use case that is coming and we're in heavy discussions with. Um, I think, uh, you know, some of it too is, is some really cool tools that I think are likely to be on blockchain anyway and, and certainly could be launched on mainnet and probably will but they'll be more heavily incentivized to come to market faster, like accounting softwares and tax tools. And because there's going to be this kind of ecosystem popping up, right? And it's like when an industry pops up in an area, there's always ancillary services that that industry requires, right? Like there's tons of people in Hollywood, California that make money off of Hollywood that aren't actors and actresses and directors, right? They're, they're legal agents and they're talent agents and they're restaurants, right? You know, so, I think some of these other, um, you know, startups are going to come along maybe a little faster because they'll see that, that there's a customer base a little sooner than they thought too. Yeah. And it sounded like, or it sounds like there is this, um, there's this opportunity also to now say you wanted to accept, um, 
EOS tokens or Warbly tokens or um, or Bitcoin or ETH or whatever, you can accept this into this um, into your payment gateway and, and quickly transfer it to fiat so that you're going to de-risk some of the taking payments in, in cryptocurrency mm-hmm. for, for the financial markets as well or for, excuse me, for, um, for more institutional um, entities because that's something there. That yeah, so you, you're not going to have to look. You know, a lot of the way I think the industry start, tried to solve that to this point is stable coins, right? You know, USDT is the famous one. It's like, you know, when you're a trader on an exchange and you want to move to the sidelines because you're a little worried about the volatility of the market or you think there's a lot of downside and you just kind of want to move to the side or you want to just take profits for a while, and maybe reinvest them back in. And we know that right now, if you go all the way to USD in your bank account, it's a long journey. It's going to cost you fees and you're not sure that you may not want to be back in even in a week. Right. You know, you might just want to be on the sidelines for a little bit. You see a dip and you want to ride it out. You want to jump back in, whatever that is. And so USDT or other stable coins have popped up to fill that niche. But when you start talking about being a merchant, right, you still really can't do anything with USDT, <laughs> you know, as a merchant. Like that might buy you some time. So you could take a bunch of payments and convert it to that. Or maybe you'll even accept USDT and, uh, you know, a blockchain person could take their Bitcoin, turn it into USDT and then make a payment. But one way or another, we're still, right, we're adding all of these steps. Well, everything takes time and money. Every step causes what's called customer friction, you know, uh, whether it's, it's the merchant or, or the actual customer, there's friction. And always businesses want to eliminate this friction. And blockchain eliminates friction in some really cool ways as far as its speed and the way it can move information around securely. But we're not able to capture a lot of these things because we're missing this very fundamental economic process, which is payments and how to get them into something usable. And until we live in a world where you can just use, you know, the merchant could just go ahead and use that Bitcoin to pay their rent or pay their people or pay their, you know, uh, vendors, you know, their suppliers, that's not very practical. They need to go to fiat. And like you're saying, you know, they don't necessarily want to be speculators, right? And, and you don't want to wait for Bitcoin and then two days later have 20% less money. <laughs> that, yeah. that could be your margin, right? And that's evaporated. So, but if someone's able to convert and take that Bitcoin payment for you and at least cheaper than MasterCard, for example, where you're doing credit payments, which is about 3%, maybe 2% or 1.5% if you're a really big volume business, as long as we can do it cheaper than that and it turns into USD, Merchants are going to be fine. I mean, I think you'll see crypto adoption take off. So why wouldn't they accept it, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that's a, and that's a great point. It's so like if a, if a merchant's operated on twenty percent margin and, and Bitcoin's bouncing around by twenty percent, you know they could be giving stuff away for a couple of days from their store on accident. You know, so right. Um, yeah, that's a. And and to get to the kind of the heart of of what Warbly's doing and what's so why this is such a big idea is because. Um, People don't care how things work necessarily. We do because we're deep into blockchain. And so, you know, we're willing to go to USD Tether and, and be semi-speculators. We're willing to uh, use Bitcoin or something as a payment and, and take that risk of it bouncing around 20% because we're basically uh, interested in how the tech works. But um, most people could care less. And like I think that you said in one of your recent interviews, no one cares how the internet works. They want to be able to go onto Google and type something in and it magically appears in front of their face. And Mm -hmm. um, that's the only way that real adoption happens because 99% of people could care less. So um, 
that's kind of what I see Warbly doing is putting this layer of trying to simplify what we have so that now uh, the financial institutions or um, these bigger players can come in and, and make it easy for everyone else to just, to just use it and not have to think about it. Um, and, and, and it's just such a big idea. I mean, you guys, this is one of my favorite, most ambitious projects on EOS right now because it's, it's, you know, it could, it could make so many big changes. So um, yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge project. Um, the other thing we're finding is that a problem for almost anyone in crypto has been just even getting a bank account. Right. So it took us almost three months to get our first bank account. And that's, okay. that's not unusual, uh, especially uh, U.S., Europe, a uh, fair amount of the Asian countries. It's challenging because, again, the banks are concerned with how do you know who you're dealing with? Like we know you, you're upstanding guys. You've got your corporation, right? We know who Dominic Thomas is. We have all your information. But who are you dealing with? You don't know. You're telling me you're in this cryptocurrency. Well, how do you know the guy sending you payments didn't launder that money or isn't involved in drugs or international financing of criminal activity? And the answer on a Bitcoin blockchain, for example, is you don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. So if I'm suddenly accepting Bitcoin, I don't know. If I don't know who that user is, I don't know where that money came from. But when we started talking to banks about AML KYC and the fact that we were going to have this on the platform for anybody who was going to be engaging in, in regulated financial services, they immediately were like, oh, wait, what? Like, like you're going to know, right? You're going to know who these people are. They're going through AML KYC. We're like, yeah, they're going through AML KYC. They were like, oh, you know, immediately their, their entire tone changes because they're just so concerned with this right? Because there's this big boogeyman out there that blockchain's just nefarious, right? It, unfortunately, we've gotten a lot of our rep from exchange hacks and theft mm -hmm. and dark web, you know? And so we need to change that narrative publicly as, a, as an industry. But part of it is, is making it simple, like you're talking about it for users to come on and realize, first and foremost, that you can do more with blockchain than buy stuff on the dark web or speculate. Cause those are our use cases and it's unfortunate, but we're trying to really change that. And it takes out this, it, what it really does. It just, you can take the financial system, the good parts of it that work really well, that are so seamless and you can add this decentralization in the, in the way that your transactions can't be monitored or your, you know, you just can't be, you can, you can make your transactions, they can be seamless and flawless and they can be trusted and there's not going to be some sort of intermediary, but you still have all the other benefits of the financial system that we've developed for, you know, thousands of years. It's not all bad. A lot of people want to maybe just throw it out the window because we want to just, you know, have our own, you know, we want to trade seashells again, but that's not right. You know, that might not really be the uh, case. So this is kind of that, that in between where we're taking the good parts and, and making it better. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And we believe that what people really want is transparency, as you're talking about, less than pure decentralization, right? Because you kind of have, we're running in, we're getting some feedback from uh, what I'd call the decentralization maximalists that are going like, well, you're not decentralized, you're making the decisions on the block. And we're like, yeah, we are. And we have a good reason to do so. But at the end of the day, you're still going to know who they are. There's still 21 independent nodes, you know, you still have the power of decentralization, meaning that it's distributed. It's a distributed system. 
if, if, if EOS New York goes down, we've got EOS Rio over here that's going to be fine and everything's going to be cool, right? And EOS Rio and EOS New York are not in bed together. You know, they're, they're separate organizations. And if anything, we know more about our block producers than Mainnet does right now. And I know that'll change. And that's not a bash on Mainnet. They're going to get that worked out. I'm absolutely confident as governance comes along. But the point is, we do know who these folks are. We do know that they're, you know, not in collusion and all of that type of stuff. We know they're separate, independent businesses providing a service to our blockchain. Um, and we know that the transactions as a result are going to be fast and secure. And I think that that's what people really care about. And then again, the transparency, right? The immutable ledger and knowing that, um, you know, they're not going to get ripped off or that people aren't going to be able to hide that. The thing about financial institutions, if we're going to run into any friction, it's going to be some of these traditional folks who are used to operating in a black box mm. and us saying, no, no, no. You know, people are going to know how much is going in and out of your institution every day. You need yeah. to know that. They won't know who, like you're saying. They won't know that it's Brandon's transaction or Dominic's transaction, but they'll know how many. Mm -hmm. And if you try to go bullshit your numbers in the next quarter, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. Like there'll be so much better corporate accountability if we can get these folks on the blockchain. That's probably going to be the stretch. Yeah. And, and that's the, and that's kind of the, the key for me and for people to really realize that our information, the, the individual person, our information has been out there forever. They know everything about us. So yeah. privacy on our end is kind of a joke. It's just, it's just a, a, a thing we dream about. So what this does is it, you take that as a given. We're, we don't have privacy, but this enables us to now be transparent on both ends. Now we can right. see into the now we can see into the back rooms of the financial institutions, and so uh, give up the privacy that we already gave up a long time ago, and and make it kind of transparent on both ends is the is is kind of the take there. Um, so yeah, it's exactly it's like evening the playing field in a sense. Exactly yeah. as you're saying, they can't know everything about us, and us not know everything about them. You know, right. businesses yeah. on Worldly are going to need to do that. These are going to be one of the rules on chain. You know, the transparency and that type of stuff. You know, we're not going to let you come on chain and just leverage the resources of the blockchain or have access to the community as potential customers if you're not going to play by this this new paradigm basically yeah well cool shift um so we were talking a little earlier about the stabilizing it it's gives a stabilizing effect for um for margins and for people for merchants holding fiat or or taking payments in different uh different ways another another way that you're looking at making it um more acceptable for merchants to use this is to stabilize the the ram prices or stabilize these other costs for companies how how do you kind of plan to do that what are this so one of the things is that we've put aside ram for account creation um and so user accounts are free however that does require aml kyc because it's the only way we can protect against the the user civil attack, which yeah. is right. If you have to go through AML KYC to get that free account, you can't create a thousand accounts because you're not gonna be able to go through AML KYC a thousand times. Mm -hmm. um, but it does at least provide that option. It makes it free. It makes it free for businesses to onboard users that already have a customer base. Uh, Cause that's been a challenge for mainnet is as I'm, I'm aware of a few pretty large companies that wanted to, to migrate uh, their user base on the EOS mainnet. And when they saw, 
you know, a couple bucks for an account. They're like, you know, we got a million users. That's going to cost us $2 million just to open the accounts. Like you got to be kidding me. Um, and businesses need stable pricing. And I think Maynet's starting to uh, adapt to some of that. And that's awesome. Uh, and we hope that whatever we're coming up with uh, potentially can offer some innovation or point things in the direction. You know, this will be the give and take of sister chains too, is everybody forgets that every, every sister chain in the EOS community brings in new developers. It brings in potentially new businesses that that chain, right, is going out and trying to recruit new dApps, but it's building the developer ecosystem and it's building the user base. But then it's also like having a bunch of research projects going on simultaneously with the same research subject, which is the EOS software. So like we have an entire security team that we're paying above our, our normal block producer fees. It's a couple of block producers and it's going to be some third party firms to do security testing on our, our main net before it goes live when we take changes in the EOS software. And so anything we find, of course, we're going to, you know, communicate that right back to the block producers on mainnet. And some, most of our block, you know, we have a lot of crossover, so it'd be very quick. You know, if you think for a second, like, you know, um, again, EOS Rio or, or some of these groups who are known for doing security for mainnet, they see something additional through their Werbly testing, they're going to be bringing that right back. And so we're all going to benefit from this like immunization of all the chains and all the innovations over time. And I think the, the RAM is the way we're doing it is it's, it's in the token. If you stake 1% of the, the Werbly tokens outstanding, you get access to 1% of the resources. Um, now we have some additional innovations that we'll be announcing in the next couple of months, but we have a pretty cool way to um, um, free up the resources of the token um, and still maintain the speculative value uh, in the token price. And so again, but we're always striving to just be about stable pricing. Businesses need predictability. That, that's just bottom line. They need predictability. Are you planning to have some of the other um, kind of features that we've seen with the uh, EOSIO blockchain, like um, staking or renting out your, renting out your tokens or um, any of that or the yeah. RAM speculation? Okay. Yeah. Not, not the RAM speculation. There'll be no speculation on network resources at all. RAM okay. CPU bandwidth, none of that. It's all going to be stable priced, driving it down as low as we can get it. Um, and then uh, we have talked to Chintai and they're planning on launching a version of, of their leasing platform on our chain. So that'll be available. And again, you know, we're, we're financial services blockchain. We expect a lot of people to come up with some cool stuff around the token. People have started talking about derivatives and, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of different ways that um, you as a token holder might be able to, you know, leverage your tokens uh, uh, for some, for some potential financial, um, you know, rewards of different kinds. I mean, and again, those will be compliant products that people will produce and hopefully, um, you know, those same things will be available to mainnet people. You know, I, I'm sure if they come up with something that works for Warbly, they're going to do the same thing for EOS, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd be able to do the same thing with your EOS tokens um, that you can with your Warbly tokens. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the uh, Warbly Network Fund and, and what the plans for that is or what that, uh, what that entails? Yeah, so that's uh, really will be the first opportunity for the community to kind of really start getting engaged 
Uh, we'll be opening up a proposal process soon where people can submit uh, for funding. Uh, we're not going to put a lot of hard parameters around it. We're probably going to make uh, some just some early recommendations that uh, will definitely favor DAPs because it's in the best interest of the network in the early term to get as many DAPs launched as possible or tools. Uh, they won't always need to be like a, a traditional sort of for-profit DAP. Uh, but if it's like a cool network tool or something like that, that, that would help the network. Uh, and in the interim, we're going to put together a committee and it's going to be some people from the Warbly Foundation, some of our block producers, and then uh, some people from the broader community. Uh, we're going to try to kind of democratize that initially, and they'll be the ones uh, making the decisions on which proposals get funded and how much and doing the oversight. And then in time, I just brought in uh, Todor. He's a, he's a pretty well-known guy in the ES community. Todor is going to be joining the team as our kind of chief governance expert, and I'm tasking him to really build out the details of our governance in time. But we anticipate the Worldly Network Fund being entirely community-run. Um, as part of our decentralization plan. So, you know, we have a two-year plan around decentralization of the network where we want to decentralize as much as possible, put as much in the hands of the community um, as we can to the point where I'll be able to be voted out as CEO by the community at that point, if, if that's what the community thinks is the best choice. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, know the full scope of that plan. So you're planning, so because it's starting out, I mean, it needs to be at this point, kind of have a mm -hmm. strong central leadership where you're bringing in the correct block producers, building the right team. But over time, you're planning to kind of give this all to the community, almost like the, how the EOS blockchain, you know, are you, are you planning to go all the way to that level with the EOS blockchain where it's... Uh, We're still trying to figure out sort of how far you can go. I think the trick is, and we need mechanisms that ensure the compliance can't be removed. So you have to be careful with governance. Like yeah. if the community, so to speak, can vote on everything, we could almost get like a new kind of attack on our chain, which would be like a community voting attack. I mean, I don't know what you mm -hmm. call it, but where if someone yeah. wanted to come in and destroy the chain, they might vote out the compliance or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so that has to be baked in and we have to find a way to do that. But at the same time, the community has to be nimble enough that let's say a new compliance standard develops. And AMLKYC is no longer the, the game, right? The global game in town and there's something new. They have to be able to kind of vote that in. So there, there'll be some intricacies around that, but the gist is make sure the compliance is in place so that businesses don't get freaked out. Because again, part of what I've told people on mainnet is even if we could have gotten mainnet to vote in all of this, let's just say we could have put in a referendum in a constitution. We could have worked with block one in the community and said, we need, compliant block producers, they need to go through these procedures, and then we need AML KYC at the user account level for those who want to engage, and X, Y, and Z. The community said, cool, fine, sounds awesome. That has to be able to stay, though. That's yeah. the other challenge. The community has to vote it in kind of permanently. It can't be something that moves because you're not going to be able to get, for example, a bank to open a digital branch and put in all that time and money on the front end and development to build it and then not know if six months or a few days even later that all of that could be voted out and suddenly they're stuck holding the back, right? So insofar as we can keep that stuff in place, yes, the plan is to sort of slowly turn the whole thing over, have the community deciding who's going to be a part of the foundation, who's going to be a part of the board of directors, where the Worldly Network Fund is going, who's going to be a block producer. You know, we're hoping that there'll be this sort of Verbally verified block producer process eventually 
where block producers can kind of submit and go through a process to get certified that, that they meet the compliance regs. And then they'll just kind of be put in a queue. And then the community can vote from that pool. And anybody can, can kind of get there, right? Can, can start up a block producer and just go through that process that the network's defined that puts them in compliance. We want to automate everything we're doing manually, basically, mm -hmm. if we can. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and that's a good point that you can't necessarily hand back everything to the community because <clears throat> it's funny calling it an attack vector, but that, that kind of a community attack vector is almost just a, a, a group think short-sightedness where, oh, you know, we want, you know, we'd like the chain to do this so we can make more money this next month, but they don't, you know, they don't have the grand picture. So there's almost like this needed some sort of core infrastructure to keep or you know some sort of core team that keeps that north star within sight so that you know so warbly is still warbly so that it can still operate with um financial institutions so that'll be interesting to see how you guys um continue that balance there um oh well if people think about like bitcoin right there's still bitcoin core yeah you know and they weren't voted in at all <laughs> you know i was an early bitcoin miner and it was just this certain group that had gotten along and interacted with whomever this Satoshi figure is and, you know, learn the code. And I mean, many people say that the Bitcoin core team is probably some of the best blockchain coders in, in the entire world, uh, that they're amazing at what they do. And so by every account, they seem like uh, they're the right people for the job, but they're not really voted in. I mean, I suppose if the community turned enough and there was enough FUD that they might be able to get somebody from that team to quit just out of sheer grief. Um, but there's no process for that. And at the end of the day, for the most part, they produce the, the code updates. And yes, the miners have to concede and all, you know, update to the latest version. So there's a consensus model, but it's not fully decentralized. You know, it's not this just everybody's voting on what the next code changes are going to be in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not how that happens. It's not like a bunch of people from the community submit features in this democratic process and then everybody votes on which features they want in the next update. Right. That's not what's going on. It doesn't happen in Ethereum either. It doesn't actually happen anywhere in blockchain. So I just I caution people with the decentralization maximalist position to think a little bit about what decentralization really means and how it's actually been implemented so far. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is kind of the the bigger picture with with all of this is is those those overarching concepts and philosophy is is big, especially when it comes to the, the difference between decentralization and and you know we decentralize everything is kind of this you know kind of right. you know, people say that it's like okay hold on let's you know let's go through the thought experiment on this one a little bit further so right uh, yeah. Um, so I had one more uh, thing here that I I haven't. Uh, what you can tell me about it's gamma bank can you tell me a little bit about gamma bank what that is with warbly yeah so that's that's really kind of how the project started is you know as as blockchain people you know we were we were just talking about how you know if the right group of people just kind of can can get in there and is willing to do the heavy lifting of compliance that we only think that financial institutions don't want to give blockchain startups bank accounts and don't want to be involved in crypto because kind of they don't have to, right? They already have this huge market. They're already making billions of dollars. Why? What's the incentive? It's a look at the total market cap, right? 
it's a rounding error for some of these multinational banks. I mean, $300 million or a billion dollars might sound like a lot to us, but it's, it's, that's nothing, you know, that could be a month's transactions for, for some of these entities. So, um, you know, we realize that there's obviously a need and that it is the future and these banks will get there eventually, but if someone could innovate on the front end and get it done, uh, that they'd do really well and it would be really successful. And so we had been thinking about it for a long time and, you know, had made some models, but then we then realized that again, the compliance would have to be all the way to the chain. And so we were like, well, how do we get this launched on a chain where we know that we can rely on that? You know, we're going to go through all these hard yards to build a bank and get banking licenses. Like, wow, we're going to need a chain. And so that's how the project all got here. That's how the Worldly Network was born. We looked at a lot of blockchains. We came across EOS. We knew it was the best of breed. And so we set up how building the network and then continuing to cook along uh, the business model behind the bank. And then actually recently we decided that there was an even better way to do the bank. And then our original plan was like, go out there, get these class A banking license, show regulators that we're legit, show regulators that it's going to be run on a, you know, a fully compliant blockchain that we're going to have AML KYC, that we're going to meet or exceed all of their regulations and that crypto is not the big bad wolf and that there's a way to do this. And then we might have to start in some of the smaller, less regulated jurisdictions and then move work our way into like the United States and Europe, but that over time we could convince. And recently we realized that there's probably a better way to do it. And it is actually to kind of decentralize the components of a bank more. Because as you just said earlier, people don't really care how it works. They care that it does work, you know. They care about the user usability of the product at the end of the day. When you go to deal with your online bank, you don't care what the bank does on the back end. You don't even know. You assume it's on servers somewhere. You don't know if they own them or if it's in AWS or where it is, but you know that they've got servers, they're connecting to the internet, and they're providing you with the software interface that gives you your balances and allows you to do what you need to do, which is mostly view your deposits, how much money you have, move your money around, uh, potentially take out loans um, and have a you know bill payment of some kind whether it's through your debit card or writing checks or online bill pay that's what you do and so if we can create an interface where you can do that do you really care what's going on on the back end and the answer is we think no as long as it works and it does what people want and so we're rewriting the gamma white paper and we're going to put forth a plan that decentralizes the components of a bank so that the entity doesn't need class A banking licenses is the gist of it. And it's still compliant and everything it does is legit, but it's not all happening in one entity that we're breaking out each component into its own individual business, but bringing it together in a single user interface, single sign on with all the security features. Wow. That's great. That is, that's fantastic. I, uh, I am really excited to see this develop, but you know, especially because about people not caring how it works. The other part of this is that with Warbly account recoveries there, you can reverse transactions. It's this very comfortable, you know, this, this blockchain that wants to give you a hug. It's like, you know, this is going to be easy to use. You can do the same thing you were doing with your money before you can even get it back if you lose it. And, uh, you know, but, now you have blockchain and we're making it more transparent for you. So yeah. it's, it's, it's keeping the good stuff of, of, 
of money that people like and, and adding some positive features to it. So uh, great stuff. Great stuff. You feel like there was anything we kind of glossed over that you want to go back and touch on or, you know, big no, I don't think so, bit. man. It's always great talking to you. I love yeah. the, like, like talking to you and talking to Matt from Costa crypto. Like I just, you know, I love talking to the folks in the community cause we can just have a conversation really. And I know you guys prepare some, some questions to keep us moving. So we don't all oh, like dog get like tangents, you know, like my rant and rave about running through the jungle as a startup. Right. I <laughs> might be funny, but the yeah. audience is probably not as interested. Well, you know, I, I think that's the good stuff. I think that people kind of, uh, they want to, well, for me, when I listen to podcasts or, or things like that, I want to hear kind of the interesting angles and what these people are actually thinking kind of in an uncensored sit down and, and chop it up about blockchain. Um, because that's, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit different type of media because we've gotten so used to this 10 minutes and, and get your hammer, your talking points out and try to make it exciting and sensational. But I think that a lot of people are kind of sick of that. It's like, you know what? Yeah, that's cool. But I didn't learn anything. I don't feel smarter after listening to that. And I don't know what these people are all about. So uh, that's why I've kind of chosen this long form sit down and, and chat because I think it actually has some value that people are looking for these days. So. Um, yeah, I agree. It's like, um, you know, again, Matt from, from Costa Crypto grabbed uh Thomas Cox and asked him to talk about Wordly because he's been a, you know, I've worked with him a lot. He's been a supporter of the project and it was cool, but he did end up spending like at least 20 minutes of that time just talking about different aspects of governance, right? Because mm -hmm. they kind of queued in. He, you know, Matt would say, oh, Wordly's kind of doing X a little different. He'd comment on that, but then he'd talk about like what the possible pluses and minuses are different. And it, it just, it was awesome. I mean, I learned a lot just listening to it that was very non Wordly. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's to me, like, I've never wanted us to do this sort of like just shill based, almost programmatic marketing and PR where it's like, we're just trying to basically manipulate people into thinking, mm -hmm. thing. you know, I want, I want people to be attracted to the project because we don't just seem authentic. We are. Yeah. They can tell right? It's not so polished and all that shit. I could do all that. We're smart enough. I could have had Sam prepare me a bunch of talking pieces and had Mitch do rehearsals with me for two or three hours this morning, you know, and just get all <laughs> elevator pitchy on you. But like when someone asked me to describe Wordly, which I've done probably a half a dozen times now in the last three weeks, I know I've said something slightly different each time, but it's all said the same thing. My interest service is on the blockchain compliance, right? But I don't, I don't want everybody who, who might want to watch multiple videos to hear the same fucking 20 words, you know? Yeah. That yeah. just sucks. Like you said, it's just bad for your brain almost, you know? So, yep. cool, man. Yep. And, and people are digesting a new kind of media now. That's why I started putting this out in podcast form. I've got the EOS podcast going now, by the way. I think you're the 20th awesome. episode, so... Cool. Uh, you guys are a, a milestone, <laughs> but yeah, nice. I think now people can listen in their cars, you know, and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's, that's, that's how I like to digest information. I like longer form, deeper, interesting stuff. So, uh, and that's why I do this, man. I'm so curious. I just, I just talk to people and, and ask questions that I want to know. <laughs> so I think that, you know, that aligns with the other EOS community. So, um, well, cheers, man. Thank you for coming on. Um, Mitch, good to see you, man. Thank you for coming on too. Um, did hey, you thanks for having us. No, I think yeah, Dominic described it really well. Um, just like to add our how um, diverse our block producers are, and how what they're adding to our um, 
to our project. I mean, I was just in London um, for the hackathon this weekend and there was about 15 of our block producers there. And it's so great to see everyone come together and really speak about Warbly and what they're going to be able to accomplish. So it's really great to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool that you guys, uh, I mean, having handpick your block producers like that, they're almost like part of your Warbly team. So that, that is pretty cool to go out there and, and meet, you know, such a big far reaching team out at the uh, EOS hackathon. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. All right, man, we get a jump uh, cool. to another one, but thank you so much. All right. Well, cheers, my crypto friends, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Thanks. Bye now. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Because